This is Counterculture with Marie Busky. Wednesdays at 10 a.m. on Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to Counterculture here on Reality Check Radio. I am your host, Marie, along with my co-host for Media Matters this morning, Marty Gibson. Good morning. Good morning, Marie. How are you doing? Oh, I am good. I'm good. We had a quick little chat before we got started. I've had to recompose myself because, of course, uh, the campaign, electoral campaign is now in full swing and Labour, both Labour and National had campaign events over the weekend. And I have to admit, after the Labour campaign event, uh, triggered would be the word that I would triggered. use about how I was feeling. You little snowflake. I was. I had a moment. I had a little moment before we started. I had to compose myself. A pot quickly. calling the kettle black. Oh, what triggered you. You hadn't caught it across the weekend at the AITS Centre. Labour had a big campaign event, which I have to admit, they got some visitors. They had a welcoming party from Freedoms New Zealand, uh, including the Vision New Zealand and Outdoor Party yeah. crew, all festooned in purple. All you saw was a sea of purple on the steps as they arrived at the OTS Centre, chanting, um, please stop the labour pains. <laughs> Might have been no please, just stop the labour pains. But I thought it was quite a good chant. <laughs> yeah, and I, I saw that when they interrupted the meeting, the labour faithful gathered, started chanting to block them out. What were they chanting? Four legs good, two legs bad, four legs good. I know. I know, yeah, because half a dozen managed to to sneak themselves inside. I know that they will make a big fuss that this is how far the decorum of electioneering has fallen, really. Yeah. (laughs) Really? (laughs) It's really worth remembering that poll, and it, it horrified me when it came out, and there's no reason to suppose that it's any different here, where... Over 50% of American registered Democrats thought that people who chose not to get vaccinated should be in some sort of internment camp. And about 30% or more of them thought that people who refused to get vaccinated should have their children taken off them. That's Mm. the Labour Party faithful. Pretty much. So there were two things. We'll dive into that now, actually, before we get into detail. I'll rip the Band-Aid off, shall I? Rip the Band-Aid off. I'll rip the Band-Aid off because I am feeling a bit sensitive about this. Hipkins' words at the the press conference at the end of that event, citing that nobody was forced to be vaccinated. I didn't think I'd be so affected by that, but I was deeply affected by that because our family was deeply affected by that. And to Mm. see a rewriting of history... You could almost call it gaslighting, couldn't you? (laughs) Thermonuclear, my friend. (laughs) Let's hear the scurrilous little weasel. It's just like Grant Robertson talking about what a great idea it is taking GST off fruit and veggies. eh? You can sort of watch him in real time, knowing that he knows you know he's lying. Absolutely. His little howdy-doody face, blinking its little beady eyes. And if anybody is thinking, have we fallen into a memory hole? No, well, they have. We haven't. Um, In terms of the vaccine mandates, I acknowledge that it was a challenging time for people, but they made ultimately made their own choices. There was no, there was no compulsory vaccination. People made their own choices. The government is planning to require every single teacher at every level and all support staff who work with children to be vaccinated. There was no compulsory vaccination. News Hub can reveal the mandate Chris Hipkins is taking to Cabinet on Monday is a mighty big stick. 
every educator who works with a child will have to be vaccinated. People made their own choices. I can now confirm that we'll be extending this requirement to large parts of our health and education workforces as well. There was no compulsory vaccination. Cabinets agreed that high-risk workers in, health and in the health and disability sector will need to be fully vaccinated by the 1st of December. People made their own choices. This includes general practitioners, pharmacists, community health nurses, midwives, paramedics, and all healthcare workers and sites where vulnerable patients are treated, including intensive care units. There was no compulsory vaccination. We'll also be including certain non-regulated healthcare workforces, including aged residential care, home and community support services, kaupapa Māori health providers, and non-government organisations that provide health services. People made their own choices. Schools and early learning staff and the support people who work with them who have contact with children and students will need to be fully vaccinated by the 1st of January 2022. There was no compulsory vaccination. That includes home-based educators, all those who support people in our schools and early learning services, such as teacher aides, administration and maintenance staff, and contractors. People made their own choices. Secondary schools in Kura will also be required to keep a COVID-19 vaccination register of their students. There was no compulsory vaccination. Students that don't produce evidence of vaccination will be considered unvaccinated. People made their own choices. So, um, I can be for people who are going to health workforce who not be vaccinated. Ultimately, in the health workforce, they will not be able to work in those roles. There was no compulsory vaccination. In the education workforce, uh, from next year, they won't be able to work in those roles. People made their own choices. So my message to New Zealanders who have not yet had their first dose, if you want summer, if you want to go to bars and restaurants, get vaccinated. If you want to get a haircut, get vaccinated. If you want to go to a concert or a festival, get vaccinated. If you want to go to a gym or a sports event, get vaccinated. There was no compulsory vaccination. If you are not vaccinated, there will be everyday things you will miss out on. People made their own choices. Uh, everyone will be able to get a vaccine between now and the end of the year. Uh, but of course, you know, and, and I want every New Zealander to come forward, but human behaviour suggests that there will be some people that we have to actually really go out and look for. There was no compulsory vaccination. Uh, but I, I can't say that, you know, that we're not going to have some hesitant people or some people who just haven't come forward that we don't have to go out and find next year. People made their own choices. Cabinet has decided today that vaccinations will be mandated for everyone who works in any workplace where a vaccine certificate is required for entry. There was no compulsory vaccination. This includes hospitality, events, gyms and close proximity businesses such as hairdressers and barbers. People made their own choices. Once the notice period commences, the employee will have that amount of time to get vaccinated. There was no compulsory vaccination. The employee will be able to retain their employment if they get vaccinated in that period, but their employment will be terminated if they do not. Mighty big stick. People made their own choices. So that is courtesy of Coronavirus Plushie over on Rumble if you wanted to check that piece out. And uh, they, in a way, you have to think, media people like that to have done things like that for us because they have maintained a yardstick in order to measure these lies against and I didn't I wasn't expecting to be as hard hit with this we don't talk about COVID much we don't talk about vaccination much because there's lots of other things to discuss but when I saw our Prime Minister stand up and say that and lie yeah blatantly lie 
He sounded a lot butcher when he was uh, lying to me. That's another tell. It's worth looking at the etymology of the word compulsory. From our 1580s, it means obligatory, arising from compulsion, done under compulsion, to drive together force. Now, that's pretty much what they did. And remember, Dr. Robert Malone, very early in the piece, said, you're going to see a whole lot of public health officials saying, no one forced you to take the vaccine. I saw on the news on Monday night, they were talking about the doctor's strikes, which we'll discuss later on. For the first time, they mentioned rising mortality after Ashley Bloomfield using all sorts of mathematical gymnastics to say New Zealand was the only country in the world to have a net negative excess death. But it's worth saying, in order to do that, you've got to include years following the vaccine and then there's a bit where it dips into negative excess deaths but if you take it from as we've discussed before from 2019 uh, or maybe 2018 it's up 14 percent mm. and there was also too a dip in that 2020 the the covid year yeah. the main covid year yeah when that, you'd expect it was shooting right up yeah I have to admit, it blindsided me. I didn't expect to have the visceral anger and upset that I had to that. And I'm sure that many of our listeners uh, will be there. And then, it, of course, I went through and had a look at the reaction with the media to that and crickets, except, except yesterday morning, I do listen on a Tuesday morning to Mike Hosking because he interviews Chris Hopkins on a Tuesday morning. Mm. That's one interview of the week that I make a point of listening to. He eviscerated him in that interview, particularly around costs. And again, we're, we're going to touch on that in a little bit. But he asked him right at the end of the interview, does he stand by those comments at that press conference? And he had him on the ropes around it and got that confirmation before he signed off. Now, anybody here that has ever listened to, to Hosk knows that he is fully behind the vaccination program. He believed 110% in it and mm. he finds that the likes of those as i use aotearoa farm the chickens he finds the chickens really frustrating they annoy the living bejesus out of him so the fact that he actually brought that up and got hipkins to stand and clarify that was intriguing because i thought hmm, okay I, I don't know why he's done that but he did and he reinforced it and he's the only one that i've heard well it was telling in that hagiography of ashley bloomfield a couple of weeks back we was asked, you know, who was the most, who was the toughest interviewer? And he sort of dismissed Mike Hosking, said he's basically a shock jock, so he'll ask a question but then won't ask a follow-up. And I find that too. I find that of Jack Tame sometimes too. He, he, he'll kind of ask a question. There's an obvious second follow-up question just waiting to be smashed back over the net, and he'll go, yeah, seems legit. Mm. Mm, indeed. So for any of us out there, I mean, obviously those of us that sit on that side of the fence will not be surprised by that, but I certainly was a little bit flawed. The other thing that I found rather interesting is speaking of memory holes. I think this is something, this is, you know, Grant Robertson has his fiscal holes. Chris Hipkins obviously is suffering from memory holes. First, there was the not remembering that Winston had brought him out all the way back in November. And then he has this massive announcement at the event around the dental care and I mean, the Greens had already been there and done that sort of three odd weeks earlier. But obviously, this is a little bit like Marxism. We're going to do it better this time, darling. And so yeah. obviously, Chippy thinks he's going to do dental better this time, darling. Far out. What did you think of that? Again, you always say this. It's not 
so worrying that he lies just in a barefaced manner. The the worrying thing is the Kiwis who buy it. And, you know, among them is that solid 30% who, if the American studies are anything to go by, I think people who refuse to get the vaccine should have had their children taken off them and been placed in some sort of state care. You know, I'll keep going back to your um, interview about the cluster B personalities. We've got some mental pathology behind the wheel here, and you've got to stop sitting there with your mouth open wondering what's going on, because I know it's coming at us thick and fast, but they're not going to stop. And and I've got all these people say, I just want to get back to normal. It's like, dude, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And the longer you just fawn, you have that fawning response over these people just doing this stuff, the worse it's going to get. Mm, Absolutely. And no, you know, that's what Josh said. And then No. And, you know, for those people that want things to get back to normal, you need to start exercising your no muscle. Yeah. Because you know that stuff out there is wrong. People say, I'm not going to comply this time. It's like, you complied last time? Mm. I'm just going to go slightly off bent for a second and we're going to go back, just speaking of non-compliance, and I need to send an email to Katie Hopkins. Have you seen what's been happening to all the ULES cameras around London? Yeah. That, now, talk about, that's some serious... Makes you proud to be British, doesn't it? If you're wondering what I'm talking about, so these cameras, so this is this ultra-low emission zone that they've created in London. So it's essentially a toll zone that if you're driving around at certain times of the day in certain places, they photograph your bumper and you have a licence plate and they send you a toll because, you know, you shouldn't be there because it's creating too many emissions. Well, I have to admit, Londoners are not taking to it at all mm. and so these polls cost millions and millions and millions of dollars they've put these cameras up and we all know that the uk i think is the most cctv country i think outside of china in the world so they've got all these cameras they put all these polls up with all these cameras for the strict purpose of taking these photographs in these ulis zones and citizens have been chopping them down actually they've been getting all honeheke on them and down they go why the romans had to leave britain is that bloody-minded, but it's a playful bloody-mindedness. That, that, it is. And we've, we spend so much time hearing about how much Britain sucks, you know, from the people who want to make us feel like we don't belong in New Zealand. And, you know, I'm saying I'm British tongue-in-cheek. I've, you know, obviously culturally to a large extent I am, but I'm other things as well. But, yeah, that playful, uh, willful, oppositional two fingers up, Love it about them. And it's also a playfulness in terms of protest that often Māori in this country have always been very, very good at. Mm. But, you know, we've well, got British, British heritage. The fuck up and, that dare not speak its name. And I saw that at the beginning of that event in Auckland where you had all the, the sea of purple out on the front steps. But you also had it, actually, one of my favourite photographs in the newspaper was Mike Munro on the Weekend Herald, Mike Munro's opinion piece. And there's this fantastic photo of um, a picture with, I think it's, is that Simeon Brown? But it's it's Luxon and he's doing a little, his press conference and there's a fence in the background. And just popping over the fence, having a wee word was Carl Mokaraka from Freedom New Zealand, <laughs> just sort of like yeah. popping in, sort of like, hi. <laughs> it's you know, they, yeah. these chickens these chickens keep popping up everywhere. And Well, Luxon's response, I mean, it was... It was telling. 
and that, you know, he's got that Pākehā thing where they're too scared to pick up the wero. <laughs> you know, if someone chucks the wero, you've got to pick it up. You, mm. you know, maybe you've got to do your own haka back. Yeah, but if you yeah. stand there like a deer in the headlights. I know some people will look at those political tactics and be very disparaging about them. But I look at those political tactics, whether I agree with them or not, and both sides exercise this. So before you think that, oh, this is these crazy freedomers or anti-vaxxers and this is what they're doing. No, 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 no. The Greens have been doing this for decades, people. Mm. This is stock and trade for them. All right. Yeah. If you're thinking, oh no, they haven't. Mm, Ihimato protest in Auckland. No one um, chucked a rubber dick at uh, yeah, at um, yeah. um Let's look at potentially what went on up with Posey Parker at Albert Park. Green leaders there. So this is nothing new. And political protest, I think we can't relinquish that. These are part of our freedoms of expression. And whilst it might be really highly annoying. If you're on the receiving end, it is part of our democracy and allowing us to express ourselves democratically. Especially so I think once the social contract's broken. Especially once the social contract is broken. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's part of the solution that was in the psychology of totalitarianism with Matthias Desmet. And he said that one of the ways to break this hypnosis that people are in is you've just got to keep tap, 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 tap. And that's what these protests are. They're tapping away at those ideas. They're chipping away the veneer of the siphon effect of, you know, or whatever it may be. They're breaking the disruption in the frequency. And you've just got to keep doing that to allow a crack of light in so people potentially will start to realise they can ask questions again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so the dental, the other great announcement, back to memory holes. Sorry, I'm going around in circles this morning. Back to memory holes and the dental policy. So once that was announced, I thought, really, Chris? That's your gotcha. This is going to win Labour back votes moment. So I promptly popped um, that afternoon up to very, very close friends around the corner to who happened to have a dental practice at, to discuss. Mm. And the, so I said to them, what do you think? When the Greens announced it, they were like, not going to happen. Labor's announced it, and they're thinking, still not going to happen. But the fact that the, that left block has set it as a priority. Yeah. I said, in reality, is this a thing? Is this going to work? They said, no, it won't work for many reasons. One, A, we don't train enough dentists in New Zealand. We have one dental school, which is like in an article that was written by Carolyn Mingyi, good gizzy girl, go, go, Cass. Uh, yeah. Carolyn Mingyi, they referred to an Auckland family who is a dentist. They're wanting their two children wanting to train as dentists to maintain the family legacy in the business. Neither of the kids can get in, and they likened it to a Hunger Games situation. I've got another friend who are dentists. Their daughter, exactly the same problem. She's now an audiologist because she couldn't get into dent school. Mm. So, A, we don't train enough of them. So then how are you going to treat all of these people because there isn't the capacity in the current private system? I mean, there are really good reasons to ensure that people have good dental health. That If you've got friends, in, as we do in Gisborne, what, one of the things that, you know, is terrible is their dental health. Like, mm. I think about a lot of, you know, mates I've got there. And, you know, just I remember a dentist saying to me once, 
you know, if someone had a sore on their finger that they've got in their mouth, they wouldn't sleep before they'd gone to hospital because it's tucked away in their mouth. They sort of ignore it and creates bacteria that attacks heart valves. I mean, it, it has a lot of cascading negative effects on health. Yeah, I saw Ricardo Menendez March said everybody in Aotearoa should be able to go to the dentist. And his thing was, by making sure the wealthiest few pay their fair share through a wealth tax, we can not only provide free dental for every single person in Aotearoa, but an income guarantee that will give everyone peace of mind that can always cover life's essentials. UBI. Good old gay Shivara. Well, further to that, I asked, you know, why it wouldn't work other than the fact that there weren't enough dentists out there. If there were enough dentists, how would it work? And he said, well, it wouldn't. He said, because currently in practices, so just even dental checkups, right? Just, I, I mean, I go to the dentist every six months to get the once over uh, and a scale and a polish. And even when we went through what I call the fiscal transition, which we, which we did last year, <laughs> that was that was money that I still put aside because of the value of that and the importance of that. Up until last year, Mr. Marie never had a filling and had never had any dental issues and he had religiously just cared for his teeth. Right. Right. And he had his first dental issue ever last year. Honestly, you would have thought his right leg was cut off. This was new territory for him. Yeah. However, for us, that was always a priority and it's something that I've always done. Well, you require long-term thinking, don't you? You've got to put up with some short-term pain. In the long term, it's worth it. And we've got a big swing towards or away from that sort of long-term thinking. So even if you made it free, I mean, it's still not pleasant. And you know what the thing, and this is the issue that I have with anything that's free. The minute it's free, there is no value in it. And even, and this is the other side of any socialised healthcare, the minute something is free, no. There is no free things in life, people. So you have to ask who is actually paying for it and who is the product. And the answer to that, my friends, is you are the product. When it is free, you are the product because (laughs) you are paying for it through your taxes. You are paying for it through your children's uh, future borrowing against their future earnings to the tune of $194 billion a year. Thank you very much, Squealer Robinson. It's not free. It's never free. Something that we've found with our business is any time we've done something or given something for free, it's just such a pain. It always creates problems. There's just something about it that seems to bring out the worst in people. Mm. I, I don't know what it is. Well, I do. It's, I guess it's it calls forth the, the worst tendencies in terms of entitlement and personal outrage. I don't know. No, no you're right. So the election campaign is sort of kind of ramping up. I, th- I thought the Labour launch was a fizzer. To be fair, I think Nationals, whilst there's a few kinks in there, I think the fact that National have gone with the tax policy, they've gone with their bread and butter. So mm. good on them. They know who they're about. And to be fair, I actually had a look at that. And for us now, it's like, mm, actually, that would help. I'd much rather have a tax policy like that that would give me more of my own money back in my pocket. Yeah, it gives you too. Like, it's your money. I know. Take less. You know, it's always, you know, you're going to give it to the the wealthiest New Zealanders or whatever, although they've prudently avoided doing that. There's always that failure to frame it as 
the hideous amount of money that government takes out of the economy. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, old uh, Liam Dan is big on this. You know, he's like, oh, tax cuts are a terrible idea until we have declared victory over inflation and shored up the crown accounts against the risk of another external shock. Is really getting the government to take more money out of the economy, you know, better? I mean, maybe mm. maybe pay down a bit of that debt or something. And then he goes on to say, New Zealand opted to run a very strong response to the pandemic, despite my view being about as fashionable as a middle-aged man in skin-tight jeans. I still think it was worth it. So he sticks to the script, old Liam, and one of those scripts, which he shares with the World Economic Forum, is that we need to cut economic growth. You will own nothing and you'll be happy. Yeah. Mm. The interview with Hipkins yesterday, he was taken to task over the, the deficit, the $194 billion, which you and I have talked about here before. Do you know what the interest on that per, per year, on that $194 billion is now? Mm. $6 billion a year. Yeah. $6 billion. $6 billion. And it's about number four in our Enough go- to pay go- for dentistry uh, 15 or 18 times over. It's, uh, it's the number four thing after it was like uh, health, education, housing, and one other, I can't remember what the other one was. And I mean, just to give you just some little ideas, the police budget every year, $2.6 billion. The corrections budget, $2.5 billion. The foreign affairs budget, $2.2 billion. Uh, conservation, only $880 million. For mm. clean green New Zealand, only $880 million for conservation. $66 million to run the public service. $43 billion now, social development. $43 billion. Now, social development is a euphemism for benefits. Yeah. And again, you look at some of these areas where the big spending is, it doesn't make anything. It doesn't consume anything particularly. So it ties in with that thing. Okay, well, get the economy and just increasingly just adding straws to the camel's back debt, and we won't increase emissions. So we're going to borrow money send it overseas via corrupt carbon, blah, blah, as I always say, and it doesn't make emissions. It just slowly enslaves us. What are the odds? What a coincidence. The economic crisis that this country is in is not getting, I think, the focus of this election. So there are plenty of things. I mean, we've talked about education. We've talked about health. The crime is out of control, particularly at a grassroots level. We're seeing all of that. And yet, and yet, when it comes to crime, You've got people that are getting off drug crimes, arm crimes all the time in this country, and yet they've just prosecuted three Australians for going up Kadrona on fake lift passes for the day. Yeah. I mean, what does that cost us in the taxpayers' time to put that through the courts? Really? Mm. And they got well, this There was an excellent article on, in Sunday Star Times business section by Amy Shaw, and there were some good numbers in the paper, but you've got to go through to the business section to find them. Mm. Even though if journalists uh, were more numerate, you could easily get a, a headline out of it that's far more compelling than what ends up being there. But foodstuffs, last week, Foodstuffs New Zealand said retail crime in its supermarkets was up by almost 60% in the past year with serious incidents such as assault, robbery and burglary more than doubling year on year. Just between May and July, incidents were up 19% on the previous quarter. Foodstuffs North Island record, recorded 54 assaults, mostly on frontline staff, up from 39. And, and it quoted uh, Chief Executive of the Canterbury Chamber of Commerce, uh, Leanne Watson, said she believed the cost of living crisis and a perception that there were no consequences for the offences being committed was driving the increase in retail crime. 
enhances facial recognition technology, apparently. And that retail crime also ties into the current senior medical doctor strike. And if you think to yourself, how does that tie in? Well, it ties in because these doctors are now striking. Part of the reason they're striking isn't just pay, it's conditions. And in fact, I think it would be more conditions than pay, to be fair. And part of those conditions are, particularly in emergency care or the more acute care, the front end of the system, is how they're treated by patients. And that treatment largely is due to absolute exhaustion and sheer exasperation of the failure of the system as a whole, of that social contract now being broken. Mm. In this article as well, she talked about this perception that staff were like a lightning rod for all this resentment that was stored up. And, you know, like, I mean, Woolworths is saying it has reported a 303% increase in physical assaults, an 806% rise in security incidents, and a 326% increase in theft incidents in the past six years. What's been happening for the past six years? Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And this is from a government. This is from a government that promised, promised it was her personal mission. She even appointed a ministry and appointed herself there, the sole arbiter to fix child poverty. It is just insane. So the the doctors too are striking. And uh, the strike by senior dentists and doctors is the first national strike in New Zealand's history. More than 80% of ASIM's members voted in favour of taking strike action. It follows two years of talking real-term pay cuts for our employer. My motivation is not just pay. This is a paediatrician, Julian Vice. I see my colleagues burn out. I see those who chose to leave the public health system and workplace conditions and a culture that is deteriorating. There's that cultural deterioration again. And I know that this is a big deal because Mr. Marie was a senior doctor in this country practicing for many years. And Mm. he has gone through many of these negotiations in the past and they've come and gone and come and gone. Believe me, to get a senior doctor to strike is no small thing. Yeah. At all. And the fact that they're striking, this is a beacon. This is one of those touchstone moments that you know that things are systemically, systemically wrong. The perception is that things are getting close to collapse in certain areas. As each person leaves, the pressure on the remaining staff increases exponentially. And if you look at the figures coming out of the UK, sick leave taken by staff, it's it's rising exponentially. There's a lot of, and, and I mean, this is up until recently, anyone who tested positive for COVID, even if they're asymptomatic, took two weeks off automatically. That didn't help. No, no, it doesn't help. That strike, I think, is is a real touchstone moment. As what you were saying is a real touchstone moment. They're talking about stripping things out of the system in terms of savings. I, I just got to a point where, Sunday, I said to you before we got started, you said, how are you going? I, I'm like, I feel just so fractious and befuddled. And then I read Bruce Cottrell. Yeah, good old Bruce Cottrell. He's one of those voices of reason. Mm. I cherish whenever he publishes anything because I finally see it. I was reading out some of his his excellent analysis of the figures. And it's, you know, he's one of the few people you see in the media who actually come right out and talk about how much the Marxist student politicians who were given a credit card have spanked it. Oh, totally spanked it. And I'm going to read the preface into this so you can dive into the numbers, right? So I have had this growing unease for a while. I just, and that really got highlighted on Sunday. And then I read this passage. 
Many of us will be or once would have been proud of a country we grew up in. It is part of who we are. Our grandfathers and uncles fought in the wars where we acquitted ourselves well. We grew up hearing the stories, stories that affect our personalities and our patriotism. That's why we face the flag and sing the anthem. A sense of pride will influence how we conduct ourselves, how we present ourselves, how we behave. Pride affects the effort we put into to achieve a goal, winning a sporting contest or helping someone in need. And pride in yourself gives you the confidence, confidence to try things, to help others, chase new experiences, to put your name forward or to volunteer, to go after a job that's just out of reach but not out of sight, to back yourselves, to have a go. I'd like to think I'm proud to be a New Zealander. I was born here, educated here, had my first jobs here. I watched my parents work hard here and I learned the value of working to get to a better place. As I travelled overseas, I was always a Kiwi and proud to be one. When you travel, the All Blacks, Team New Zealand and people from the past such as Sir Edmund Hillary and Bruce McLaren seem not so far away. Typically, we are passionate about our country and for good reason. But that passion is gradually fading. We hear people talking about leaving. They've had enough. Marissa, mm. I completely understand how you feel. Well, it's uh, and my contention is that it's deliberate. You know, this whole thing where it's permissible to call a racial group colonizers and and so on, even if it's been 180 years since they got here, in my, or 190 in my case. Yeah, it, it's basically to take the fight out of people for their country, I, I think. But yeah, he goes onto the figures, when the Labour-led government took over the Treasury benches in 2017, total Crown expenditure was $99 billion a year. Over the previous five years, 2012 to 2017, that number had grown from $92 billion. So the total growth in government spending immediately before their arrival was $7 billion, or 7.6% over the five years, about 1.5% a year. In 2017, the election resulted in the Labour-led government being installed. In the five reported years since then, 2023 results are not yet published, our total government expenditure has gone from $99 billion in 2017 to $151 billion in 2022. So this government, which has taken our borrowing from $60 billion to $160 billion in just six years, and our total annual government spending from $99 billion when they took office to over $150 billion today, with plans for another $92 billion over the next four years, appears to see cause for celebration in their announcement that they will cut that future spending by $4 billion, which I assume makes the total increase just $88.5 billion. And when the interest on that bill, based on the $194 billion, which is the total total, is $6 billion a year, you're, just, you're not even carving into the interest, son. Oh, yeah. yeah. Our finance minister continues to stand atop our podium of truth and say most of our inflation problems are generated overseas and our books are in good shape, especially compared to our trading partners. The facts are starting to assemble and the reality is that New Zealand economic measures are woeful on every front. And above that, he, he says that, yeah, I mean, I think you said this possibly on the political panel, we were second to last, mm-hmm. 159th. It- out of 160 countries for economic We beat crime. Equatorial Guinea. Thank God. Mm. That was important. <laughs> Not quite the downtrough. Yeah. Again, when have you seen that as a headline? Oh. We're last. 
in economic yeah. growth. And they're still patting themselves on the back talking about their COVID response. Just consider that. It means the GDP outlook for 2024 is worse than almost every basket case economy, even war-torn countries, every collapsing state except for one. It's worse than Zimbabwe, Greece or Venezuela. <clears throat> Congratulations, Robbo. Yeah, good good job. Mind you, who was it? Was it Michael Cullen that said, leave no gas in the tank? Well, I mean, he said that, but he didn't rack up the debt. That, that's mm. Robbo's big, great leap backwards has been not only spend all the money, but rack up the credit card. No, unbelievable. It's a, it, it, it is. A, look, it is genuinely unbelievable. And this election is going to be one... I think we people are going to have to make decisions. I'm, I'm, I've decided I'm a candidate vote now. I'm quite happy with that. But I'm a party vote is still very much up for grabs. Um, the polls are coming in thick and fast now. We're pretty much getting uh, three to four a month on a regular basis. The Roy Morgan, which runs every month, like clockwork, Australian-based, not considered as one of the mainstream p- polls in this country, but their methodology still shows trends across time. And that came out a couple of days ago. It shows national at 31%, down 2.5. Labor, 24%, down 2. So that downward trajectory for Labor is still very much continuing. This was the one that I'm I'm not 100% certain on. Mm. And I don't know whether it's an outlier, but ACT, 18 up 4. That's going to that's gonna bring some... Uh people into parliament who had no idea that they were going to be in parliament. Yeah, not but not climate deniers or... No, they've been culled. No, they've been culled. Uh, the Greens are up 3.5 to 12.5. So essentially, ACT and the Greens have cannibalised Labour and National. And the Greens have also picked up some stuff from Te Pāti Māori, which are down two to four. They were six on the last poll, which was an outlier number because they're consistently mm. rolling around three in every other poll. So this is actually taking them back. Copper's down to, to to two. They're starting to shore up. The other one in terms of a trend continuing is New Zealand first, 5.5, up 0.5. But he's more consistently now polling above that 5% threshold. Mm. So things are heating up. And in his announcement at a meeting, what well, it was at a meeting, he announced around compensation, uh, yeah. monetary compensation to it's those. Such a shrewd been, political move, isn't it? Yeah, because I mean, according to them, well, safe and effective. So, what are you saying? There's no compensation to pay. Yeah. They know. Yeah, the reality of it is, is will that happen? No, I say that genuinely. It's not not saying that I don't believe it should happen. Yeah. In reality, will it happen? No, but by announcing it like he has, he has put that question of compensation for those people who have been affected in the public forum. Well, I mean, if you think you were triggered by that claim, imagine how the people who got the shot to keep their job, to pay their mortgage, and then got seriously sick. I remember interviewing a, a woman who got injected by a hairdresser who had retrained, started feeling faint and collapsed in a toilet at the shopping mall where she was injected and just had all of this terrible problems that are ongoing, wasn't allowed to get an exemption. You know, they said, well, you're just going to have to have one in hospital where they've got resus equipment. Those things, you know, and if you look at the Royal Commission of Inquiry as it now stands, and look at what's in and what's out. What's in, just one example, 
consideration of the interests of Māori in the context of a pandemic consistent with the Te Tiriti or Waitangi relationship, and what's not in it, clinical decisions, how strategies or measures applied to any individual person, the epidemiology of the virus or the efficacy of vaccines, the health reforms, judgments or decisions of courts or independent agencies like the Ombudsman or independent police conduct authority won't look into particular decisions taken by the Reserve Bank's Independent Monetary Policy Committee, any adaptation of court procedures by the judiciary, or any adaptations of parliamentary processes during the pandemic or conduct of the general election. Make no mistake, this is a COVID election. Did you see the other article about, well, I know you did because you had a chat about it before we started, Voices for Freedom, a pro-whaling lobbyist, and links to New Zealand first. Old Andrea Vance, there was a lot of concerns about how to protect the empire rattling around in her Darth Vader haircut this week. Yeah, I did, did make a phone call and did a bit of background on that. Because when I read it, it just read to be really vacuous and wafer thin and lots of smoke and mirrors. And I, to be fair... I don't get the point of the article. I really... Well, I think the point came at the end. There was one sentence which was really telling, I thought. Um, If conspiracists enter Parliament, they will gain a platform and access to resources that will hugely increase their ability to spread misinformation and derail public debate. That word derail is really telling, isn't it? It suggests that public debate is on rails that there are Mm. things we can talk about and things things that are beyond the pale. Mm. And it's interesting to examine what those things are. Obviously, you know, one of them is, well, how come our birth rates dropped by, live birth rates dropped by 30% since the old safe and effective? How come deaths are up by 14% since the old safe and effective? And disabilities uh, are up about 36 or 37%. 38%. 38%. 38%. And how come that, those, certainly the disability figures are almost in lockstep with the states? And again, in the interview with Hipkins yesterday, that was a number because they've got more people now um, drawing, and we, I mentioned this in political panel, more people now drawing, drawing job seeker benefits, but the jobs are actually out there. He was yeah. questioned, why, well, that was why, cunning. why the gap? Yeah, that was a good point. Well made, uh, Marie. You know, I, it hadn't occurred to me. You know, we've got such low unemployment. You know, how come everything feels like it's falling to bits and unemployment so like, well, maybe 14% of our workforce now is too disabled to work. So I don't know what it was before. Mm, true. Uh, you could work it out by subtracting 38% of, uh, of 14%, I guess. It's the um, hyperbolic language that flows around. You know, this, this case of... Anybody that has an idea or a thought that is not on the prescribed list of rhetoric or dogma is, you know, applied with all these epithets. I think that's part of the reason I was so fractious because there was a lot of that in the papers over the weekend. I mean, my little friend, my wee friend, uh, Chanel, the online abuse towards queer, particularly transgender New Zealanders, rose to genocidal levels after Parker's visit, says Chanel Lal. There's a guy who talks about ending whiteness and stuff like that. It yeah. might be just projection. Maybe he likes a bit of uh, genocide I mean, himself. I, again, 
you tell me where those bodies are stacking up, love, and I will I will talk about it. That upsets me because that is a very, very powerful, loaded word. Yeah. You know how he was saying, oh, you know, what's the big deal? You know, you go to a toilet with the door closed anyway, so what does it matter if uh, a trans person wants to go to the ladies' toilet? And my thing was, well, we'll go to the men's then. And I, I will say this. If I was in a changing room and there was a transgender man who was getting hassled or abused, I'd step in for them. I'd be quite happy to do that. I'd say, hey, don't be a dick, you know, to whoever was hassling the person who didn't want to have a dick. You know, I'd, mm. so, you know, I don't feel genocidal towards them. I feel protective of my daughters who go into um, changing rooms if men who some you know have a compulsion to be in women's changing rooms want to go and get naked. Every single trans person that I've met, and I have met a few, they're not down with all of this at mm. all. They just want to quietly get on with their lives. Yeah. Why would you want to do weightlifting? I can understand. You know, you've got prettier underwear and women are more admired for their beauty and that's a nice thing i guess but why would you want to go in an mma match against women actually yeah. just getting back to that voices for freedom pro whaling um article that was knitted out of a spider's web by andrea vance you know another thing she said was she talked about dr matt shelton no other party or politician would even consider meeting dr shelton now it's worth going back to what took Matt Shelton, who's a was a very conscientious, proud general practitioner, what got him in the cack? And what it was was he said to his patients who were either trying to get pregnant or pregnant, the testing hasn't been that robust. It certainly hasn't been as robust on this therapy as it is on anything else before it hits a pregnant woman. It's mostly been tested on rats. Maybe, you know, if, you, if you're pregnant, I'd hold off until a bit more data comes in. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the mm. live birth rate is down by 28%. So he was, on the face of it, at least making some pretty good points. Certainly, Andrea Vance hasn't refuted them or even addressed them. No, but because it's not about that, as you said. it's it, Her point is, is do, to do, do, try do. and draw the yeah, they draw these wafer thin ribbons of connection yeah which yeah it is it is fairly crazy it is an interesting time and we just each week we'll do what we do in terms of the bread and circuses though uh we i one of the things i have found really really interesting is on i don't know who you who have you got your telephone with i've got mine with what was vodafone and is now oh, two one. degrees Oh, two degrees, right, yeah. On my phone, for the last little bit, I've had this little thing that sits in the top corner of the screen saying, up the was. I was like, what? It usually mm. says one NZ up there. What's this up the was business? It's code for we love working class people. Oh, oh is, that, is that what it is? Okay, well, I had no idea because, you know, I, I, I'm just spending too much time Even working. Chris Hipkins has been saying it. Apparently, Chloe Swarbrick kicked it all off. No wonder I missed the memo. Anyway, uh, leaders... just not hip. Oh, that ship sailed for me 40 years ago. But anyway. Yeah, get... <laughs> I'm at the point where I don't care. It's so liberating. <laughs> oh, I can't hear people over my own comfort. <laughs> exactly. I was just going to say, we're from Gizzy Darling. We were never hip. We, we were hip in our, own, in our own little sandy lunchtime, weren't we? Anyway, 
uh, leaders commit to raise the wars, the Beehive Diaries, Michael Nielsen. And I saw that again. And I'm like, I feel like I've missed out on something here. And then I realised it was the Warriors because they're actually doing quite well. Oh, that's what that's all about. But in a way, it's like these politicians trying to tack themselves onto this. I'd love to know how many of these politicians have actually been to a Warriors game and, I've and got know a theory, what's going on. Marie, that rugby is a place where you can go and see masculinity and patriotism in a zoo, in a caged environment. Because yes. you're not allowed it outside of those contexts. It's pathological. But that's the one place that we can still kind of celebrate it, you know, like an endangered species that you might go to a zoo to see. I've always been a rugby, I'm a rugby supporter. Now, I'm saying that, though, I went to the very, 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 very first Warriors game ever. Long story. You're right. You know, it, there is something about sport that can take you out of whatever's going on in your head in the world for 90 minutes and you can just forget. And whether it be football or league or rugby, and for me generally rugby's my jam, and then I got all befuddled because I didn't realise that the Rugby World Cup kicks off this weekend. And mm-hmm. I was quite and, – and I love, even if I don't follow the stuff during the main season, and I ditched Sky years ago, will only tend to watch test matches if I think, oh, we'll go to the pub and have a burger and fries and watch a game. I completely, completely missed – everything's been so busy. I completely missed the Rugby World Cup. I love the Rugby World Cup. And it's not for the All Blacks, funnily enough. I love watching our guys, don't get me wrong, and I'm there. But I love watching all the smaller countries. So what I would often do is I would go through each pool and pick one team in a pool, and I'd think, oh, wouldn't it be nice that you had a wee upset and knocked over you some of those? You put a bit of money on it? Yeah. Have a little flutter? I have been no one. Thank you, Japan, eight years ago. <laughs> That's what I enjoy. I love watching teams like Uruguay and Japan and Namibia and Fiji, uh, teams that you know are unlikely to get to the top four, or highly unlikely to get to the top four, but every now and then one will sneak into the magical top eight, like the Japanese, and and you actually think, yeah, I'm from a rugby family, and so it has always been, you know, culturally there. But that's why when I read Bruce Cottrell's opening statements in his article, I was like, yeah, I just kind of feel like some of the key touchstones in our culture, in our culture as a nation, as New Zealanders, as Kiwis, things that we always, you know, that are Kiwi as like Kiwi onion dip and Waddy's tomato sauce and make sure you blow on the pie, you know, those sorts of things have been stripped away from us and and covered in a film of identity politics and... You know, multiculturalism, they don't mean multiculturalism. They mean we're all the same and we all think the same. And, you know, as I said, the whole the denigration of Pākehā New Zealanders isn't to uplift Māori. It's to take our fight out of us uh, for the country. Yeah, and actually I'm mourning that, I think, this week. I think that's why I sort of felt... You know, I've looked at this past six years and I really, really pray, and I'm not one with the Lord as a rule, but I just, I'm putting it out to the universe that it needs to change and whoever gets in to take over actually needs to start, you know, start listening to the people and allowing those who have felt disgruntled to at least 
share their concern. It'd be good if the National Party did what it says on the box, wouldn't it? But, you know, I've got this this suspicion that if a nationalist, and they always call it populist, party arose in New Zealand and started pushing for our national interests, before you could say uh, Klaus Schwab, Labour and National would form a grand coalition. Yeah, interesting. Mm. Mm. I mean, you know, apart from all that, I mean, there was... There was the new agencies entering a new era of collaboration. So you're sort of starting to see a bit of the thought police coming in. Call for regulator clamp down on the wild west of broad of podcasts. I found that the weirdest article. Yeah, pulling a bit of anti-Semitism out. <laughs> well, yeah, because when in doubt, when in doubt, go for anti-Semitism. Surefire winner. It's not the first time either. I think um, criticisms of globalism were characterised as anti-Semitic. It's pulling out the big guns. Although I will say this, New Zealand Jewish Council spokesperson Juliet Moses said the joke was in bad taste. This talking about someone making a joke about uh, Jewish people. It says, Shalom, give me some of your money. Yeah, yeah. But she did say, to her credit, Moses said that whatever the new media regulations look like, Censorship wasn't the answer. As the Jewish Council, we always favour freedom of speech and leaving things out in the open as much as possible. We don't think censorship is generally the best way to deal with things. Good on you, Jewish people. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know what? I think they are sick and tired of being used as the chew toy in these political scraps. Well, as Avi said uh, I'm just trying to remember, I think it might have been in, in one of Cam's interviews with him, uh, conservative Jewish people are some of the most persecuted people in the world because they're persecuted by liberal Jews, mm. vociferously. And I was listening to a, um interview with the great legal mind, Alan Dershowitz, and he was talking about some of the persecution he'd faced for defending Donald Trump. It was unbelievable. Larry David, who I actually quite like, was screaming at him, he said, you know, so saying he was, you know, it was like he was defending some high-ranking Nazi or something like that. Well, I actually think liberal Jews, and Dr Naomi Wolf is one of them, have been left behind. The Overton window has left them behind. The revolution always eats its own. I mean, if you look at the proportion of feminists who are uh, identified as Jewish, it's in the 90s. It's, it's pretty high. You wouldn't have had a chance to catch it, but I've just had a really interesting chat to Helen Pluckrose, and we talked about classic liberalism. And so, of course, she is someone who is proudly a classic liberal. She writes around it extensively. She's part of the grievance studies of here. And we were talking about, you know, what happens if you push too far in one direction away from classic liberal ideas of discussion and debate and all of these things that we're sorely missing, things that this article wants to clamp down on. I mean, the whole point of this article isn't about this poor taste joke, um, Jewish Mm. joke in this podcast. This article is they want to shut down alternative voices in platforms they can't control like this one. End of. It's as simple as that. And the more they push in one direction, the difficulty is, is things can push too far back in the opposite direction. The old barn door. It is, and and that's why free speech is so important and good on the Jewish Council. Yeah, I mean, the point I made earlier about how I, you know, come to the aid of a trans person who is getting hassled or assaulted, and it's the same with with anyone, you know, and and so the the characterisation of someone who says things as genocidal 
is so so disingenuous, isn't it? Well, it is. Very. Did you see the National uh, Radio New Zealand's dropped from number one to number five? Yeah. Plunging like a rock? Shocker. Yeah. And, and did you see it's it's got an increase to its budget of $25.7 million. Oh, kia ora, Willie. Yeah. Kia ora, bro. And, 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 you know, when I, I couldn't help but think when I saw that about what the budget of Reality Check Radio must be, imagine if we had a, even 10% of the increase that Radio New Zealand has. And, and you know what? I'll be bold. I'll make bold enough to say we've got better content already. Mm. You know, I just feel really proud about the work that we all do here. And we've so got such I. an it, incredible team. Yeah, great to be a part of it because, and I think people can sense when they start listening to it that we, we might look at a few things that, you know, are outside Overton's window, but we do have a commitment to truth. We do try to do the the legwork in terms of making sure we're not saying anything that's not true. And it's motivated by a love for the country and the people who live in it. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's reflected in the fact that we are funded by the people for the people. So for every single person that's donated, even if it's a dollar, it really does make a difference. And, you know, we couldn't do it without without you. And we've got some great stuff coming up. You know, the app, I know, is well on its way to development. I can't wait for that to come. We've got yeah. the Foundation Club. I know you've been doing some more writing. We've got an, an, someone working behind the scenes now, a journalist who's actually getting some fantastic short bites up for those foundation members so you can actually get a really good snapshot of what's going on out there in the world of media. We've got great shows. Yeah, we Skywalker to Andrea Vance's Darth Vader. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and even having political content now, Cam's show, as you've said, is some of the best political content that we have got. With zero political funding. What a coincidence. Yeah, and long format interviews. Like, I've just, I'm loving hearing that. And then farming or anything that's going on politically in that space, mm. I have learnt volumes from Greenwash with Jess Preet and Don. And if you need a boost and you're feeling a bit flat, I listen to something that Natalie's got over on Up Your Brave and, you know, you, you turn it off and you think, yeah, I feel good about that today. So there yeah. is something there for everybody. So thank you for everyone for listening. We do appreciate it. Yeah, with, with just as, as it's uh, growing, we're able to pull together some of those uh, best of clips and those are fantastic. I was listening to um, Paul Brennan's best of the other day that's really worth catching if you yeah. um, haven't and then oh. that'll give you an idea of, of some of the things that are felt but you know the other thing I'd say is please do share the content because that's what it takes to hit that critical mass that we need and yeah. Kiwis oh you're docile and compliant come on come on yeah, we've Share got some it. great shareables now. So do, you know, if you want to find them, if you're on Facebook, go and check it out on Facebook. If you're on X, go and check Reality Check Radio out there. The shareables are all shared and you can go and pass them pass them on. So please do that. Hey, look, we better get moving. Thank you very much uh, for another week. Are you back on the panel on Friday morning? Yep. Excellent. New. I'm having a Friday morning. Ah, uh, good for you. Can't get the buscadator too often. I think I drove it. You, you have enough of me already. <laughs> it's <laughs> oh, all it's good. Don't disappear. Of course, Woke News of the Week is coming up right after this. And if you want to give us any feedback, we've had some great feedback. You made, made someone spit the coffee, I think, all out over the newspaper on political panel with your 
Kiwi trout face. Um, <laughs> so true, though. It yes, is so true. Uh, 2057 is the text number, and inbox at Reality Check Radio is the email address. Have a great week. This is Counterculture with Marie Buskey. Wednesdays at 10 a.m. on Reality Check Radio. Reality Check Radio.